The Conspiracy Podcast contains adult themes, language, violence, and sexual situations. Basically, all the good stuff. Thanks for listening. Yo, son, what's up? What? You're not my dad! You also hear something! I'm gonna something! Hello, conspiracy listeners. We have a breaking news bulletin with a brand new list that's just been given to us of true crime sins that if you see anyone interacting in, you're allowed to throw hands. The first one, of course, is talking about how handsome Ted Bundy was. And in that same vein, referring to Jeffrey Dahmer as just misunderstood. We hate to be the one to tell you, but the gay serial killer cannibal rapist was never going to fall in love with you. Continuing that thread, any sort of romantic language towards either one of the Columbine shooters? And blaming the victim of any horrific crime in any way, as in, they shouldn't have been a sex worker, they should have gone to the police, why were they alone at night, etc. And this also includes, if I'd been in that situation, I would have blank statements. Sending death threats to an actual living human being because they're convinced they're guilty based on their own internet sleuthing. And finally... Sending love letters to convicted serial killers, rapists, and or mass shooters. And now, on to our main story of the evening. We have a wonderful special guest host for this episode, Jace Wingate. And Jace, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, everyone out there. Uh, Katie, Renee, thank you so much for letting me join you for a little bit. I'm such a big fan of Conspiracy. I also host another podcast that we had to stop in media res because I was going through a literal emotional maelstrom read this way podcast, which if you have not given that a listen yet, please, I encourage you right now to go listen. It's basically the clapping for Tinkerbell that will help me to come back alive and <laughs> resurrect the project with Renee, which it will resurrect eventually. I'm kept alive by B12 and Adderall. I'm a reanimated corpse. Um, and uh, that's it. I'm a Leo. I'm a lunar Libra. And that means I have dark cycles. My Venus is in Leo, which means when you just thought I couldn't be more of a nightmare, I am. Um, mm-hmm. And... I live with my best friends and my two cats, Snowshoe and Fred. And I guess that's it. 
I think that's all that I can say about myself. You really. forgot to give your blood type, your address. <laughs> oh, I don't know my blood type. I have to forgo that if, part of the introduction. Since Jace has a lunar Libra, he is going to be sitting in for our other lunar Libra host, Liz, who has been kidnapped by the evil goblins of capitalism and isn't able to be with us tonight. But Katie's here. I'm here. And that's also good. And I'm not a Ooh. I'm not a lunar Libra, but I'm a sun Libra and a rising Libra, so hey. Ooh, the darkest cycle. Hey, right. Don't forget. <laughs> Just when you thought the cycles couldn't get Don't darker. forget I'm a Scorpio too. So yeah. like I said, if you need someone taken out, I got you. <laughs> I think I'm the only. I think I'm the only one without any Libra in my chart. It's all Earth. It's all Earth except for my Jupiter. My Jupiter's in Scorpio, yes, and my Pluto's in Scorpio. Yes. Everything else. No, I'm sorry. That's a lie. My Jupiter's in Capricorn. You're fired. Get out. It's only my Pluto that's in Scorpio. No, we need her for guidance. Let me tell you, I truly am a chaos goblin of We podcasts. need the, little, the Virgo like, to keep us in line because if not, this would just be a shit show of. We will literally fly towards entropy. <laughs> Like there will be no structure. We are like we are, are like really minions, and Renee this. is the fucking whatever the hell he is, <laughs> Gru or whatever. So I don't know. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Are we ready to do? What are you drinking? And then yes. get started. Yeah. All right, Jace. Since you're our guest, why don't you tell us first what you're drinking? Well, um, it's going to be more creative next time. But right now, I am drinking. Trader Joe's sparkling black tea with peach juice beverage. Oh man, you gotta. We usually bring like four drinks, three to four drinks. You gotta get on it. I'm running solo tonight. <laughs> tonight. I'm running solo tonight. Solo tonight. <laughs> uh, Katie, what are you drinking? I am drinking um, dandelion spice tea, some regular water, and some strawberry lemonade, truly sparkling water. You know. Okay. Once that again, to all fun. the listeners that listen and know that I went on a sobriety journey for a year and a half, I did. I started drinking. I'm under control. That is what matters. what matters. Yeah. And it ain't nobody's business. That, that little really PSA isn't. out there. It's because, your you know, journey. Yeah. I I have it under control. Anyways, yes, there's that. What about you, Renee? All right. I am drinking. Uh, pumpkin spice black tea Ooh. with some vanilla oat milk that I made earlier today. I'm also drinking a Moscow yes. Mule, which is my new non-beer drink of choice. And then I'm drinking some sparkling water with some blueberry vinegar I made. Ooh, Ooh come through, shrub. <laughs> today we're talking about a pretty interesting and exciting topic. It is related to our previous episode, which we recorded however long ago, I can't remember at this point, covering the Christine Collins case, which was famously made into the movie called The Changeling. So we thought a natural follow-up would be to discuss and have a conversation about the history of changelings, some stories about them, and maybe some explanations for why something like this was so prevalent in so many different countries. So if you're not familiar with the concept of a changeling, it is the very basic fundamental idea is the, the fairies, 
the healed the folk, some sort of ethereal being steals into your home in the middle of the night while you and your newborn baby are sleeping. They steal your baby and they replace it with a baby that looks kind of like yours, but acts very differently. And stories like this were prevalent across pretty much all of Western Europe and a lot of Eastern Europe. And I'm pretty sure parts of Russia as well. It's a very interesting phenomenon. And we're going to start it off with Katie telling us some stories about this phenomenon. We are. So buckle up, babies. Here we go. It's exactly what we're going to do. And buckle yes, up your please. babies. So they keep default, your babies close. All right. Baby. Oh, and Jace has no idea what we're talking about. We did not tell him at all what this episode was going to be about. So this is going to be a fun experience for him. But luckily, I do know what changelings are. So I'm coming in with a little bit of backstory and back knowledge. Excellent. Okay, yeah. cool. All right. <laughs> you thought you could trick me. <laughs> so. But you didn't. Jace is a yes. fake. Maybe. I'm going to give the title of each little story and where I found it because none of these are mine. All of it is word for word what I found. So I am not taking any credit at all. Just want to put that out there. Katie did I, not write these stories about children. I love the idea of Katie like trying to write it from like a personal <laughs> account, like a true story. Like none of these are my stories. Just or kidding. My personal experience as a changeling. Three are lie, or I don't know how you play that game. Three are lies. What is the truth? I don't know what the fuck it is. <laughs> that sounds Katie, right. Katie, Katie's sitting at a typewriter like. I was sitting in the forest as a 13th century immigrant. I was thinking, should I give my child to the fairies and focus on fair yes. me? That's actually I did. I pondered that when they were when they were babies. Alright. Let's get down to it. You ready? Here we go. The first story is called The Stolen Child, and I found this on TerryWindling.com. A typical changeling story is the following tale from the mountains of northern Wales. A farmer and his wife lived in a cottage with their infant son. One day, while the farmer was in the field, the wife was called away from home to tend to the health of an old woman who lived just down the road. The child was sleeping peacefully, so the farm wife left the babe in the crater. Cradle. <laughs> in the crater. <laughs> that was their first mistake. <laughs> don't really don't put the child anywhere where a meteorite has been. No. All right. That child just has, like, and, mercury poisoning. <laughs> and and seeing the child, the child was sleeping peacefully, so the farm wife left the babe in the cradle while she visited her neighbor, turning homeward again at dusk. One, I understand the time that this was in, normal to leave your babies at home, but I'm sorry, you're leaving your sleeping baby home alone while you go down yonder to this sick old woman Okay, you deserved it. Anyways, as she traveled back, her path was crossed by the 12th Tig, the fairies of Wells. So she rushed to her house and was greatly relieved to find the cradle undisturbed. She quickly scattered salt on the doorstep and on each of the windowsills to protect the child from fairy mischief, as she should have done before. That's right, bitch. You should have done that before. Alas, she was too late. The boy had been a fat and jolly child, but now he grew pale and wan and howled in his cradle for hours on end. This creature is not ours, said the farmer. Whose then should he be, said the wife. He belongs to the twelfth tag, said the man. 
We must put him out on the cold hillside and see if the fairies come to reclaim him. But his wife would not allow any harm to come to the child, so she thought was her own. The troubled woman continued to feed and dress and clean the babe, though his face now looked like a wizened old man's and his milk teeth grew into points. The infant's appetite grew and grew while his chest and his stick-like limbs seemed to shrink. When the baby had eaten through all the stores and still he continued to howl for more, the farm wife left the cottage to seek her old neighbor's advice. Go home, the old woman replied, and do what I shall tell you to do. Then you will know if this is your son or one of the twelfth tig. Following the old woman's instructions, the farm wife procured a large hen's egg, returned to the cottage, and broke the egg in front of the child's cradle. She cleaned the shell and filled it with porridge, then set it to boil on the fire. The infant watched her closely with a frown on his wizened face. Finally, he could not contain... Finally, he could contain his curiosity no longer. What are you doing? The boy piped up. The woman was startled to hear him speak, but answered as she'd been instructed. Why, I'm making dinner for the men in the fields. They'll be hungry after all their work. The infant laughed and said, Acorn before oak I knew, and an egg before a hen, but never before have I seen an eggshell brew dinner for harvest men. With these words, the creature betrayed his great age, and the farm wife knew that her husband was right. This was not their own dear boy, but a fairy who'd taken his place. She picked up a shovel and put more coals on the fire until it roared with heat. What are you doing now? asked the infant. Preparing to throw you on the fire. As she spoke these words, she snatched him up and threw the creature onto the flames, where he changed to a puff of smoke and left the house through the chimney. And in his place sat her own fine son, returned by the twelfth tig. By the way, while I was reading that infant, I was like Stewie from Family Guy. Also... <laughs> also, are these babies? No wonder. Are these babies the reappearing on the fucking flames as well? Because that's what I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, same. I was about to ask the same thing. I was gonna be like, where he was? He was in the fire. He was in the hearth. I also love this woman trusting her child <laughs> so hard, like being like, it had a wizened old face. It spoke, but I didn't teach it language. Like, and it had pointed teeth. It's normal. But, like, that's normal. I also love cooking porridge in an egg shell. Like, I was like, how? I I, I didn't. That took me a little bit. Like, by the time I figured that out. Okay. So, the next one is also from the whole stolen child on terrywindling.com. Okay. In Scandinavia, healthy mortal infants had to be. Okay. Let me backtrack. This is not like, okay, some of these are stories. Some of these are like, just, do you call them tales or like the origins of it? I like guess. recollections? Because they're supposed to be, we're assuming that yes, some of these are okay. true. So, okay. in Scandinavia, healthy mortal infants had to be guarded from covetous trolls who found them more beautiful and appealing than their own peevish, hairy troll children. One farm wife, suspecting her own sweet-natured child had been stolen by the trolls, was determined to rid herself of the troublesome creature who had taken his place. She set a cauldron in the hearth, took hold of the porridge spoon, and bound a number of rods to it till the spoon reached up to the ceiling. Well, the child blurted out, I am old as the trees and old as the hills, but never in my life have I seen such a long, long spoon for such a small, small pot. Confirmed in her suspicions, the farm wife beat the changeling with her broom. As he howled and wailed, a troll wife entered the cottage bearing the farm wife's son and said, See how we differ. 
I've cherished your son while you beat my husband black and blue. <laughs> she then took the changeling by the hand and disappeared up the chimney. Why the fuck are these, why do they have to go up the chimney? What's up? What's, are they fucking Santa Claus in reverse? Like, I, I just don't understand. Mean, like, is that changeling? Stop the episode. FBI's on the way. We're calling the police. Like that vine. Is that, is that a weed? I'm calling, I'm calling the police. I was telling people today because I was doing like some opera shit at the pizzeria today. I was like, oh, I was like, have y'all ever seen that vine of the woman outside of the bus and she's hitting the glass like going, (laughs) nobody knew what the fuck I was talking about. By the way, and please keep this in, Um, Brie, hi Brie, I love you. My coworker Brie listens, she's listened to all, like she binged all of our episodes and she like went, she went to Denver, uh, hey (laughs) Brie, she went to, she went to Denver a few weeks ago and, uh, she like texted me, she's like, I'm in the Denver airport right now and I'm just looking for everything that y'all talked about on the podcast (laughs) and I was like, yes, bitch, please. I was like, go find that blue demonic horse. It's like go find the tunnels. He's like, Junior reporter he's like Bree. forty feet tall. He's well, no, yeah, she like, saw him, but like I was like, go wander through the tunnels. Look at all the apocalyptic artwork. Okay, I'm sorry. We're so. Anyways, let me <laughs> give it. Let me give more shout outs. Bree and Zoe, I love y'all. Thank you for listening. Thanks for continuing to support us. Spread the joy. And Steph, I think Stephanie listens. The fucking drummer from the coat hangers. I think she listens. So there's that. Nice. Yes. Nice. Love her. But actually, you know, oh, she has yeah. another band called Narcissist. Y'all should all listen to it. It's N R C S S S T. That's a lot of S's. I know. Anyways, yes. I, oh, they took out the vowels. So it's nurse it's Narcissist uh, without the vowels. We saw them on my birthday at uh five two nine and she's really fucking good. She reminds me of Karen O from the IAS when she sings. She's great. Um anyways, Ooh. okay. Getting back on track. I love all of them. And I love y'all. Anyways. And Liza, when you listen to this, we love you. We love you. We love you. Love you and we miss you. We're going to get a cutout, a cardboard cutout or a blow-up doll. And we're going to put your... I'm, I'm, I'm going for the blow-up doll. And we're going to put your face on it. And all, each of us are going to have a blow-up doll of Liza. And she's going to sit right next to us. And we're gonna, we're gonna, it's gonna be like Build a Bear. We're gonna have some sayings that she says, and we're gonna squeeze her stomach, and she's gonna say some shit. And <laughs> I'm just gonna mimic your voice. I'm gonna be like, it's Liza. <laughs> so it's like you never left. Oh man! All right, all right. I'm gonna get back on track. Okay. So this next story I'm gonna talk about. This is not a baby story. This is actually. This is almost similar to some fucking Salem witch trial shit. You would think that it is. One, her name is her name is Bridget. Love that. Her name is Bridget. So there's that. And this is the story. This story of Bridget Cleary. And I found this on burningbridgetcleary.com, which Bridget Cleary was a seamstress married to a Cooper nine years her senior named Michael Cleary. Around the village, she was known to be a polite, friendly, independent woman, well-respected, but little understood by her neighbors. The couple had no children after eight years of marriage, which was unusual in those days, and they lived in one of the finer cottages in town. The well-dressed Bridget was known to take long walks by herself to deliver eggs to her customers and often stopped by the old fairy forts, which are medieval ring forts that are outside of the town. 
One day in March of 1895, during the hardest winter so far on record, the 26-year-old Bridget fell ill, and the events that followed are still shrouded in mystery and folklore. The doctor was summoned, but he took almost a week to show up, so Michael grew impatient and visited a fairy doctor, who prescribed herbs for Bridget. By this time, Michael had become convinced that the fairies had replaced his wife with a sickly changeling. Because, duh, that's what you should do when your wife becomes sick and she's not acting herself. Yeah, swap her out. This is just, you have hysteria, go to an asylum. But, like... This is also just, I'm tired of you because you're not giving me any children, so I'm going to come up with this whole (laughs) fake bullshit so that maybe we can kill you and I can marry somebody else. Anyway. It used to be so much easier to get rid of your wife. (laughs) Oh, to be a man. (laughs) So... Most likely, most likely, the idea was planted in his mind by a relative who visited Bridget and thought her much changed and not herself. Like you said, Renee, hysteria. She needs to go to a mental Mm -hmm. hospital because she's just on her fucking period. Yeah. So Bridget grew weaker and the priest came to give her last rites, just in case. At this time, Bridget's aunt and uncle decided to pay a visit to check on their niece and found the house full of villagers chanting and performing rituals while her husband and brother and some other men forced a concoction of herbs boiled in milk down Bridget's throat. They also threw human urine on her, another popular fairy remedy. If you're stung by a jellyfish, you can also throw human urine on somebody. Actually, common misconception, don't do that. I know. What happens? Seawater is actually the best thing to do. Jace is like, wait, what happens? I've done this one too many times. Yeah, what happens if you pee on it? <laughs> well, I mean, there's, it's an open wound. There's like stuff in, and it can actually make the burning worse. Oh. The seawater's good because it's salt water and it'll purify it. Katie's out here. She's just another fairy doctor. Katie's popping She's a like, squat wherever she can. <laughs> Katie's like, and if you have a headache... And you don't uh, think you can get out of bed, then you just have somebody pee on you. Pee in your eyeball. The, the goblin from the last story with the baby. She's like, uh, instead of a and, baby, she's got a bladder. <laughs> and if you pull your pot pocket out of the microwave and you bite into it too soon and you burn your tongue, then you just splash human urine on it. That's exactly what I do every time. I'm just imagining you with like scalding hot hot pocket. Like, <laughs> The interior of a hot pocket, just pouring it down someone's throat, like the ham and cheese. Oh, I could see, I could see her look at Sean, and Sean's like, "Please, babe, not again." And she's like, <laughs> "Babe, I burned my I'm trying to get over here. I didn't give you those seven glasses of water for nothing. So, when the human urine didn't work, they held her over the hearth fire to cast out the devil they believed possessed her, while they prodded her with a red-hot poker from the fire. Bridget was repeatedly asked if she was a fairy and continuously tested by established methods and local folklore to see if she really was one. A few days after St. Patrick's Day, Bridget was reported missing. How convenient. A rumor began to circulate that Bridget had been abducted by or had gone willingly with the fairies inhabiting the fairy forts. Her husband supported the story because he was probably the one going around spreading the story. 
When her badly charred and mutilated body was found nearby in a shallow grave, Michael and eight other people were charged with murder. Thank God. Oh, but I spoke too soon. The coroner confirmed death by burning, but also detected signs of previous abuse. Michael denied having murdered his wife, although he did admit to driving out the ferry. The real Bridget, he said, would soon be found at a nearby ferry ring, riding a white horse where he would be waiting to bring her home. He sounds a little fucking cuckoo crazy himself. Her and John F. Kennedy Jr. Exactly. Yeah. They're coming together on the white horse. White horse. Evidence given during the trial revealed that when Bridget's dressing gown caught fire, Michael took the opportunity to douse his wife with lamp oil and held the other people back as she burned alive in their home. Michael Cleary denied having murdered his wife, admitting only to have done away with her changeling. His so-called fairy defense did not hold up in court, and he was found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to only 15 years in prison, after which he sailed for Montreal. His cohorts, including some of Bridget's own relatives, were convicted of wounding Bridget and had, severed and had served lesser sentences. As a result of this landmark case, a precedent was set in Irish law that a person could not be harmed or killed for suspicion of witchcraft, and a belief in witchcraft could not be used as insanity defense in a murder trial. Much like Lizzie Borden and her acts in this country, Bridget's story has remained part of popular culture in Ireland ever since. Even with the fact-gathering for the case, interviews with locals at this time, and further analysis more than a century later, no one is really sure what happened inside that cottage. Some say Bridget was hiding an extramarital affair and that her husband killed her out of jealousy. Other witnesses claim she admitted to being a changeling and taunted her husband until he killed her. Many believe that Michael felt threatened by his modern thinking, independent wife, and took advantage of the circumstances to be rid of her. Which I, 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 I support that theory. Yeah, I think that's I mean, probably it. Yeah. You weren't supposed to be a wise speaking woman back then. I mean, even now we're still somewhat punished. It's fine. It's, it's not funny. fucking fun. <laughs> Fuck you, motherfuckers. Let me speak. My vagina. Not yours. Okay. This next one is called Not Mine, a Scottish Changeling Story. And I found this on thewillowweb.com. I love the name of these sites. I know. I'm obsessed. <laughs> the Willow Web. <laughs> My love would not have loved this. It was the Faye's child, not hers. Her gentle smile would not have graced her lips if she had looked upon it, I am sure. Those lips which tasted of all the blood in the room when I last touched them. After her screams ceased and the screams of this creature began, screaming, screaming, the midwife took it away and I held her, who had left me for this. It screamed. Every day and every night, I tried everything a father could. I bathed it and kept it warm. I soaked rags and milk for it to suck on and nestled it in my arms as I stumbled through delirious lullabies. Nothing soothed it. It refused sleep and denied me the same. She wouldn't have wanted to hold it either. Nasty, writhing thing. Not a child, but a demon. It was the midwife who said it first. Changeling. The words slithered through the village, house to house. Changeling, changeling, changeling. Oh, a said my neighbors. They heard its screams as well as I did in the night, keeping their own children awake. I took it to the healer. She rubbed it with salves and burned John St. John's wort. It screamed more. Back home, it was sick. Then it ate everything, so I stopped feeding it. All the milk in the village turned sour overnight. I laid mistletoe and iron shears in the cradle. 
It shrank away from them, glaring at me between unearthly shrieks, with brown eyes that were like hers, but also not. They held no warmth and reflected none of the hearth's soft light, slitted, weeping things, all dark and empty. Weeks passed. A cow died. A crop spoiled. It rained. Changeling, changeling. When my neighbor's daughter fell ill, a knock came at my door. Take it. You know where. Take it now, before anything happens to my else. Elspeth? Yeah, names used to be weird. I mean, names are still weird, but I know. they used to be some Pilot. Else. I knew an Elspeth. Elspeth. <laughs> okay, well, Elspeth. Other faces peered out of doorway, nodding and murmuring in agreement. The knoll, only way. I shut my door. It was a bright autumn twilight. No clouds, just an endless sharp sky. Pale blue fringed with red and orange. A twilight before a frost, when a waning moon would rise, and ice and silver would leech all life from the countryside, a night to carry away what was no longer desired. I swaddled it in a blanket and left the house. The faces watched me go. Some cast their eyes down as I passed, others bore into me to make sure that I went. I felt them on my back long after I was beyond their sight. To the knoll, where the fae gathered and reveled in the moonlight where the chime of bells could be heard and our cattle refused to graze. Small and unassuming, but a portal to Elf... Elfam... Elfam... Elfame. It's Elfham. Okay. Small and unassuming, but a portal to Elfame, if ever there was one. Everyone knew it, and I pretended they didn't. As I crouched and laid it on the grass, I could almost feel their unseen eyes watching me. They were in the stirring breeze, tugging at the blanket as I settled it around the creature. I paused for a moment, gazing at it, wondering. Thoughts drifting as they do when you have not slept for so long and you cannot tell right from wrong. Holding her, holding her body, tears, my tears, falling on its skin. Faces on thresholds, only way the Fae were watching. They must want it back. It was their fault, not mine. I left it there. I left it screaming. I walked home. Tomorrow I would hold my child. Her child, a real child, I slept. In the morning, I buried a frosted corpse. Oh. That was not a changeling story. That was a real baby who is just unhappy and so sad because the mother died in childbirth. I was going to say, it sounds like the mother yes. died and the dad just like did not know what he was exactly. doing. Which is unfortunate. All right, so the next one is... The Kintalin changeling. I don't know if I'm saying that right. It's Kin and Talon. It's probably something Irish. Kintalin changing. Kintalin changing. Kintalin changing. (laughs) The Kintalin changeling by James MacDougall. Folk tours and fairy lore in Gaelic and English. There there was living in Kintalin a woman, which I'm probably butchering. Kintalin. Once again, butchering that. There was living in Kintalin a woman who had a male child with neither the growth nor the bloom of other children of his age. From morning to evening, he would not cease one minute from crying, and he would eat far more food than was natural for the like of him. It was harvest, and there was not a person on the farm who could draw a sickle, but was out on the reaping field, except the mother of the child. She, too, would have been out were it not for fear that the nasty screaming thing would break his heart crying if she would leave him in charge of any other person. It happened that there was at the time a tailor in the house making clothes. The tailor was a shrewd, observant man, and he was but a short time within until he became suspicious of the lad in the cradle. You, said he to the woman, may go to the reaping and I will take care of the child. 
The woman went away, but she had barely taken her feet over the threshold when the weathered object she had left behind began shrieking and crying loudly and sorely. The tailor listened to him a good while, keeping his eye on him till he was sure that he was nothing but a changeling. He now lost patience with him and cried in a sharp, angry voice, Stop that music, lad, or I'll put thee on the fire. The crying ceased for a while, but afterwards it began a second time. Art thou at, again, at it again, piper of the one tune, said the tailor? Let me hear that music any more from thee, and I will kill thee with the dirk. When the fairy beheld the frown on the tailor's countenance and the dirk in his hand, he took such a fright that he kept quiet, quiet a good while. The crying ceased for a while, but afterwards it began a second time. Art thou at it again, piper of the one tune, said the tailor? Let me hear that music any more from thee, and I will kill thee, kill thee with the dirk. When the fairy beheld the frown on the tailor's countenance and the dirk in his hand, he took such a fright that he kept quiet a good while. The tailor was a cheerful man, and to keep from wearying, he began to hum a tune. In the middle of the music, the ugly elf raised a loud howl. But if he did, he was not allowed to go on with his warble, but a very short time. The tailor leaped off his work table, went dirk in hand over to the cradle, and said to the fairy, We have enough of that music. Take the right great bagpipes and give us one good tune on them, or else I'll put the dirk in thee. The fairy sat up in the cradle, took the pipes which he had somewhere about him, and struck up the sweetest music the tailor had ever heard. The reapers heard it in the field and instantly dropped their sickles and stood listening to the fairy music. At length, they left the field and ran in the direction whence the music came. But before they reached the house, the tune had ceased, and they knew not who played it or whence it came. When the reapers returned home in the evening and the tailor got the mistress of the house alone, ooh la la, he told her everything that happened while she was at the reaping and that her child was nothing but a changeling. He then told her to go with him to the Artichel side of the bay and to throw him out in the lock. She did as was told her, and as soon as the nasty little elf touched the water, he became a gray-haired old man and swam to the other side of the bay. When he got his foot on dry land, he cried to her that if he had known beforehand what she was going to do, he would have made her never think of doing such a thing again. She returned home and found her own child at the door before her, hale and sound. Aww. Okay, this is called The Red-Haired Tailor of Rodanock and the Fairy. And it's by the same James MacDougall, folk, folk tales and fairy lore in Gaelic and English. The Red-Haired Tailor lived in Rodanock. I don't know if that's how you say it, but we're going to say it like that. I think you're killing it. Like the rest of his kind, he went from house to house to make clothes by the cloth, which thrifty wives manufactured for their husbands and sons in bygone times. Once as he was approaching a house where he had a few days' work to do, evening came on and he saw, in the dimness of the twilight, one like a very little child running before him and keeping out of sight behind every bush and every hillock at the roadside. The tailor hardened his step, hoping to overtake the curious mannequin before him, but instead of gaining, he was losing ground at every step he took. As soon as he noticed this, he began to run with all his might, but in spite of his skin, he could not shorten the distance between them. At length, he lost patience so completely that he threw his big shears at the nimble little man ahead and struck him with them in the knee joints. The fairy, for such as he was, fell on his face and before he had time to rise up was in the tailor's arms and the shears on his breast. "'Tell me where thou art going, my good lad,' said the tailor. "'I am on my way from the big fairy knoll to the house ahead of thee to get a while of the breast of the wife.' 
replied the little imp. Perverts. <laughs> this was the very house to which the tailor was going. And what wilt thou do with the woman's own child, said he then? Oh, I will put him out at the back window to my people, and they will take him with them to our place, answered the other. And will they send him home when thou hast had enough of his mother's breast? Oh, no, never. That will do, said the tailor, and he let his prisoner go. As soon as he got his liberty, he stretched away to the house and was within before the tailor arrived. He had the house to himself, for the good man and his wife were in the byre mil milking the cows, and no one was in but the child and the crater. Wow, I did it again. Yeah, why are you coming up for you, Katie? <laughs> Katie, have you been putting your, did you put your children in craters when they were kids, when they were babies? <laughs> I did. He had the house to himself for the good man and his wife were in the byre milking the cows and no one was in but the child in the cradle. He lifted the child in his arms and handed it out at the back window to the other fairies as he thought. But the tailor was before them and took the child quietly in his arms and then went away it to the house of his sister who lived a short distance off and left it in her charge. When he returned, he found the wife before him and the changeling in the cradle ready to burst with crying. The wife took him up and gave him a drink and then put him back in the cradle again. He was not long there till he began to scream and cry once more. She took him up and gave him another drink, but to all appearance, nothing would please him but to be left away always on the breast. Pervert. Yeah. Yeah. I just need to know, and I'm sure you'll get to it. I need to know why the tailor was like, oh, you're going to do this terrible thing. Great. Well, all right. Well, bye. Good luck. Well, he, he he stood at the window so the fairies couldn't get the baby. And he took the baby and gave the baby to his sister. Oh, okay. But hold on. This game went on for a few days more, which I don't know why the tailor wouldn't have just given the baby back to the people instead of taking it to his sister yeah, and well, having the sister keep it for a few days. But, you know. And the tailor is a pervert. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm Probably. just going to let this weird man Whoa. suckle at my friend's teat for a, for a little while. Just kidding, everyone. Yeah. The tailor was the one suckling at the breast, not the changeling. <laughs> Plot twist. That's an M. Night Shyamalan twist. <laughs> so this game went on for a few more days. But when the patience of the tailor ran out, I guess when the milk ran out, he sprang at last from the work table, took a cree full of peats, and put a big fire on the hearth. When the fire was in the heat of its burning, he sprang over to the cradle, took with him the changeling, and before anyone in the house could interpose, he threw him in the very middle of the flames. But the little knave leaped out through the chimney and from the housetop cried in triumph to the wife, I have got so much of the sap of thy breast in spite of thee, and he departed. So literally all these motherfucking changelings want to do is just suckle under breast, under teeth, and just get out the milk. Yeah, this is fucking weird porn. I will say what I have to talk about is remarkably tame. And it will not answer the questions you have, Katie. Damn it. I will answer some questions, but I will also bring the mood down and make everybody feel bad about history, which is always my goal. Always my goal. Do Just it. a reminder that um, barbarism has existed. And I don't mean like cutting hair has existed forever. And will probably exist in perpetuity. It just kind of changes. I'm going to list my sources at the end. Um, because I don't want to give everything away at first. If I forget to mention them, I'll just add them in the episode description. So now that we have heard some stories about changelings, 
let's dig a little bit deeper into this folklore. No matter what part of the world the folklore comes from, whether the story takes place in India or Ireland, there are a few things that remain consistent about changelings. They begin to be unresponsive to the world around them. They're resistant to physical affection. They act in an unruly or disorderly way. They seem to have an inability to express emotion. They begin crying for long periods of time for seemingly no reason. And they may have a physical deformity, such as a degree of rigidity in their muscles. According to British Goblin's Welsh folklore methodology, legends, and traditions, changelings are ill-tempered, wailing, and generally frightful. It bites, it strikes, and I don't know why that was so hard to say. It bites, it strikes, and becomes a terror for its mother. This description probably sounds familiar to parents who have had a child with autism spectrum disorder. Oh, shit. Yeah. Look at you. (laughs) Right? (laughs) These stories also, as you'll notice when Katie was talking about them, focus on the beauty and normality of their child before the old switcheroo happened with the fae. This focus on the demeanor and sometimes even the appearance of their previously beautiful and normal baby has parallel connotations to parents of autistic children who often feel like the happy baby they birthed has been stolen or taken away. Hold on. Autism t- <laughs> I got a question. I got yes. a question now. Because now okay. you're really fucking it up. Really, really messing yep. with my mind. Did these motherfucking parents throw their actual children on the fire? Or like, but then they're like, child, up here, I'm, I don't know what's happening anymore. It's going to get worse, so... Uh, The signs of autism (laughs) tend to start showing up when a child is around 18 months old, with most parents insisting their child was a regular baby beforehand. Children with autism spectrum disorder, and from now on I'm just going to use the initials ASD, often seem to be developing normally and then unexpectedly withdraw from social interactions as the disorder manifests. They may not respond to their own name, They have difficulty interpreting social cues, and they can often lack empathy. They sometimes have repetitive movement patterns, rocking back and forth, for example, or harm themselves through actions such as headbanging. It makes sense that hundreds of years ago, a mother faced with a child who has suddenly begun exhibiting such upsetting behaviors might have believed her previously beautiful and normal child had been replaced by a strange fae creature. Often ASD appears alongside with a wide range of comorbidities like epilepsy that can affect a child's ability to grow and thrive without proper treatment, which didn't exist hundreds of years ago. It's human nature to seek out explanations for situations that seem to be outside of our control, especially those with a direct bearing on our welfare. So it makes sense for people who didn't yet have a scientific explanation for why their child failed to develop normally to come up with a supernatural one. Stories like the ones Katie told often suggest that any child with a physical or mental disability is not really the offspring of his parents, but rather an offspring of the Fae, the Devil, the Elves, the Xanas of the Asturias, or a Jinn, showing that this prejudice arises from all corners of the globe. From pre-Christian until recent times, many people have sincerely believed that supernatural beings can and do exchange their own inferior offspring for human children, making such trades either in order to breed new strength and vitality into their own diminutive races, or simply to plague humankind. Or simply, like some of the stories Katie said, for funsies, until 
they get enough of that sweet, sweet mommy milker. I'm sorry to everyone. <laughs> I just, I'm, my mind is like going back to the stories I just read and it's like, hold up. Still trying to connect the dots into how these crazy ass motherfuckers. So, oh my God, Bridget Cleary. Could she have just been autistic or no, she wasn't whining. She wasn't, she was just different. Like fucking Bridget Bishop. Yeah. She was dying or shit red <laughs> and being a scandalous succubus going into men's dreams at night. They could see her wrists in public. And for that, she yeah, had to die. Yeah. I would be dead Same. at this point. My ass cheeks hang out on a daily basis. And it's so like, it just, it's so universal in the way that like, <laughs> if it can't be explained, then it has to be something, you know, extra or abnormal or it's something I almost said extraterrestrial which could be a response but mm-hmm. it's the fact that like the paranormal or like something that can't be explained in layman's terms suddenly becomes something that can't be comprehended so it has to be um, something out of a fable it has to be something that is like uh, fiction or fictitious in nature and that's how it titrates in because like the human mind operates mm-hmm. in a way in which like something has to be understood. We we are creatures of understanding and we become helpless when things happen that we don't understand. So that's why these 19th century people are like, throw them on the fire. Just, yeah, hit them with a poker. That'll fix them. <laughs> I heard if you create oatmeal and stir it with a spoon and put an egg on top of it, it'll work. Yeah, a massive long spoon. <laughs> but yeah, Katie's like, hey, listen to these fun stories about you know, these folklore where they burned a fake thing and then their real kid came back. Isn't that such an interesting story? And I'm like, yeah, and they were all autistic. They burned their disabled children. Is everyone happy now? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. My my mom, when I was younger, when I was like five, she would say, or no, it was when I was like growing up, she would say things like, why can't you be nice? Like you were when you were five. So like, I think it's interesting how Mm -hmm. like, the folklore again titrates into our everyday living like the fact that like the changeling story my mom probably never read that but the fact that there's like again something that is like rooted in our society like if you don't if you're different if you like defy what is socially acceptable then you've been swapped out for a fairy child but i wasn't yeah. swapped out i was you're always not my a child. fairy honey so this type of belief not only absolves parents from the perceived deformity of their child so this isn't our fault that our kid is different from other kids but it can have dire consequences like the story of bridget that katie talked about and the other story where the kid froze to death court records ranging between around 1850 and 1900 in Germany, Scandinavia, Great Britain, and Ireland all revealed numerous proceedings against defendants accused of torturing and murdering suspected changelings. 1900. So like 120 years ago, people were still doing this. Similar incidents, yeah, were undoubtedly even more common in earlier centuries, but prior to the mid-19th century, public opinion, religious attitudes, and legal indifference made it unlikely such cases would be prosecuted. The court records of Gotland, Sweden for a for 1690 document one of the rare exceptions to this. A man and woman were placed on trial for having left a 10-year-old changeling 
their sickly child who was not growing properly on a manure pile overnight on Christmas Eve, hoping that the elves who had made the exchange some years earlier would now return their rightful son. Hold on, hold on. Um, unsurprisingly. This was in 1690? Yes. Okay, I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to, okay, so they had their shit together in 1690 in Sweden. Got it, heard, okay. There is justice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Rarely, this was like the rare, rare, rare exception. Okay, and I think it was probably because it was a ten-year-old child. Got it. Okay. So unsurprisingly, that child died of exposure, and folklore sources, such as the stories that Katie read, suggest that such fail abuse of malformed children were not unusual. Why did families react so negatively and harshly towards perceived changelings, though? At the time, a peasant family's very subsistence frequently depended on the productive labor of each member, and it was enormously difficult to provide for a person who was considered a permanent drain on the family's scarce resources. Up until the 1900s, children were supposed to be relatively self-sufficient at a very young age and help out around the house. A child who needed constant supervision without any prospect of ever being able to contribute anything to the household was more than a burden. It jeopardized the future of the entire family. The fact that the changeling's ravenous appetite is so frequently mentioned indicates that the parents of these unfortunate children saw in their continuing existence a threat to the sustenance of the entire family. It is little wonder that these parents would have seized on the changeling explanation as a way to make an impossible choice a little less impossible. Changeling folklore not only explained why some children fail to grow and develop normally and help to justify the extreme actions that may have been taken, whether in fact or only in fantasy, to free the parents or society from the burden of caring for handicapped children. Fun stories and now we're all depressed. You're welcome. I love the like the flip to because i was listening to the last podcast on the left uh black plague series that they did and it's like yes so good such a good series highly recommend diametrically opposed here we see parents of course killing off children that don't that like can't contribute and then in the black death you saw children who were like fuck you i got i'm more valuable than you are in this i have to take (laughs) so like would would Mm -hmm. kill off the parent i mean it was all I'm sorry, is it, is it also not similar to what we're going through today with the pandemic and how basically hospitals have had to ration out, like, eh, this older person might possibly, but then we have this 19-year-old who we could... I hate to say it, but it's yeah. almost the same thing, I mean. Well, it's, yeah, it's one of those situations where you're like, I hate that this is happening, and is, doesn't it suck that we could have avoided it? But it's, like, it's very traumatizing. And the one good thing about the Black pe- Black Plague is uh, all the workers' rights that happened afterwards, which we're seeing a little bit right now. Speaking of, strike on Black Friday. Do not shop on Black Friday. Do not work on Black Friday. I never Don't shop do anything on, on Black, Black Friday. Friday. Deal. Doing a strike. I mean, for real. Labor when people say that we are a third world country with a Gucci belt, like, we are legit that. Because... <laughs> I'm sorry, our wage is 500% below what it should be in this year compared to, like, fucking 1962. Like, I mean, it's it's pretty fucking Oh, like, bad. 1976. Not even that long yeah. ago. Like, 1976. Yeah. It's fucking ridiculous. It's absolutely fucking ridiculous. And it's... Yeah, sure, we have the most billionaires 
uh, we have more billionaires than any other country. We also have the highest rate of incarceration and the most number of people who have gone into debt due to medical expenses. And um, I don't know if we have the highest level of poverty. India might beat us there. Right. We're definitely in like, the top three. But like one of my brothers posted something and it was shitting on Biden, of course, which I'm sorry. Biden, once again, people, Biden was not our number one choice, but he was better than a fucking orange man. Like, trust me. But my brother posted something and he it said something about how the price of turkey, like turkeys this year for Thanksgiving have gone up. Gas prices are have gone up a certain percentage and then food all around has just gone up. And I'm just like, so many times I was like typed out something where I was like, okay, let's think about this supply chain issue. There's a high demand for a product, not a lot of people to produce the product. What happens there? Inflation on top of that. Our living wage is at the fucking lowest point that it could be at. Of course, even if Trump was fucking president, all of this shit would still be through the roof. Gas would still be over $3. Your turkeys would be, I don't Mm. even fucking know how much they cost, but apparently it's through the roof this year. It doesn't matter who the fucking president is right now. Capitalism is not fucking working. Like, it's not. Like, it's, it's, it's. Tell your brother, was, was it your brother? Yes. You said posted It was one of my brothers, yeah. Lidl has turkeys for 87 cents a pound. I don't, he's. Don't go, don't buy your turkey. What, what, what does it? Like. Well, and the fact that, like, you look at the beginning of the pandemic, too, where, like, all of these, like, big businesses get the paycheck protection and, like, the the fragile infrastructure of the things that we idolize in our culture, in a capitalistic culture, are just as fragile as the human lives under which we claim to, like, be able to thrive in this. It doesn't work. Is it not also, like, just, like, think about it. Years ago, a few years ago, we were all about everything made in America. Let's start getting small businesses in America up. Let's start making shit in America. Let's start doing all of this shit to to say that, you know, stop buying stuff from overseas. Everything's going to be cheaper. We're going to make stuff here. And now, like you just said, the beginning of the pandemic with those PPP loans, who were the top people who got the fucking benefits from it it was not small businesses because a lot of small businesses were denied and instead it was these big corporations that don't fucking need it marjorie taylor green's company got one like fuck marjorie taylor green when you equate the value of someone's career based on the money that they can make you in a nation you inherently say i don't care about the well-being of the person or the persons who choose not to go into that career path i choose the money mm-hmm. that they can make me and therefore we live in a country but- that has a lack of emotional intelligence we put a lack of awareness on mental health because those things don't make money what makes money is Mm-mm. pharmaceuticals being a doctor um particularly plastic surgery which is ironic the fact that again in a capitalistic society aesthetic is important and um the arts only matter if they can make you over seven figures in what they do yep it's fucked up and it's really heartbreaking thank you listeners so much for joining us this morning afternoon or evening whenever you're listening to this when it drops um this has been the conspiracy podcast we are your hosts Renee Pogue. You can follow her on Instagram at Rudy period Guliani. Uh, Katie at Katie with three eyes and an E underscore on Instagram. I am Jace Wingate. You can follow me at 
that Jace kid on Instagram, Jace spelled J-A-S-E. And you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Conspiracy Podcast ATL, all one word. Uh, thank you so much for listening. It has been a pleasure spending time with you, and we will see you in the next episode. Bye. Anybody I would like to live. I just want to do God's will. That's the best. And I want you to know tonight that we are.